And today, my name is Frankie Mazapika. The title of my message is Mercy, Birth, and Hope. Mercy, Birth, and Hope. I'll tell you where I'm getting this message out of. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where Peter says this, Let us praise God and the Father of Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from death. This is Peter writing and he's saying, these are the things that you have received from the resurrection. Out of God's mercy, you've received a new birth and a living hope. Everybody say living hope. One, two, three. Look at the person next to you and say, I didn't hear you. Go ahead. Let's do that one more time. Living hope. Living hope. Now, it's important that we understand who Peter was writing to. See, after the resurrection, all the followers of Jesus were scared for their life. And the reason for that is the same religious people that caused Jesus to be arrested by the Roman government were looking for other Christians to do the same thing that they did for Jesus. They hung Jesus on a cross, they beat him, they whipped him, and now they're looking for all of his followers. A good example of this is in Acts chapter 8, uh, where a man named Saul was going around uh, all the towns and villages and the extended regions looking for Christians. One young man in particular, his name was Stephen, they brought him out to the center of the city and they started stoning him until he died. This is what they did to people who were following Christ. And so all of the believers, all of the Christians had scattered for, to Jerusalem, Judea, and to Samaria. And Peter's writing them and he's saying, hey, I want to encourage you. I, I want to remind you that out of God's great mercy, he has given you a new birth into living hope. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about God's great mercy. We're going to talk about the new birth, and we're going to talk about the living Mercy, the living hope. Um, I, I want to just kind of give a parallel just for a moment. I used to play basketball in high school, and uh, I remember uh, the game was we were down by one point, and uh, there was like 10 or 15 seconds left. And um, uh, w we got the rebound, and we were supposed to go to the other side of the court and, and score and hopefully win. We were only down by one point. We had a good chance. Well, I got the rebound, and um, I called timeout. Well, the problem is, is that we didn't have any timeouts. And so 
for those of you that don't know the game of basketball, if you call a timeout when you don't have any other timeouts, the other team immediately gets the ball, and they also have an opportunity to, sh to shoot two free throws. And so at that moment, our entire team, including myself, just devastated. I was so embarrassed that I was mad. Have you ever been there before? It's past being embarrassed. You're mad. And our whole, I'm looking at my, my teammates on the bench and on the floor, and they are just like, Frankie, what are you doing? So after the game, we naturally we lost. We're going through the end of the at the game. You're supposed to go give five to the to the team. Your team gets in a line. Their team gets in a line. You just kind of give it a good game, good game. You don't really mean it. You're just saying good game. <laughs> you're thinking jerk, 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 jerk. But you're walking through a good game, good game, good game. And this guy on the other team. Um, well, let me say this. This was in the 90s, and there was uh, the University of Michigan had a guy named Chris Weber um, in the 90s. And he called a timeout in the NCAA tournament. And because he called a timeout, the other team beat them. It was a big deal because Michigan was favored to win that year. Well, this guy, good game, good game, good game. He comes up to me and he goes, good one, Chris Weber. So I lose it, okay? So I push him, okay? I push him, and I'm ready to go. So his whole team formed around me like a half circle. Now, in my mind, my whole team is behind me. <laughs> and so I'm ready to go. So I'm jumping up forward, and then I look out of the corner of my eye, and I don't see anyone. <laughs> my whole team went to the locker room devastated and down and mad, and they're waiting for me to go in there so they can rip into me for being so stupid. But anyway, I'm looking at them, and I went, oh, my goodness, I am all alone. So I went from being fierce as a lion to back, 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 back. I'm sorry, da, 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 back, back. I walk into the locker room, and there everyone is with their head down. They're upset. It was a big game for us, and I blew it. This is how Peter felt. He's out there after the resurrection. He's preaching. He's doing what God, he's doing the great commission in Matthew 28, 19. He's doing the great commission. He's trying to share the gospel, but he's looking around and all of the other believers are hiding out down and discouraged. They're afraid. That's why he wrote the letter. And so I want to unpack the first point is God's great mercy. So he writes this letter. He's trying to encourage his friends. He's trying to encourage the believers because they've all kind of like quit and withdrew. And so he, he writes the letter and he says, God's great mercy. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you by telling you and reminding you of God's great mercy. See, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says that as people continued to sin, as they sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace increased 
even more abundantly. He's saying, look, I know you're afraid. I know you're scared. You're probably feeling bad about yourself because you've been quiet. You haven't told anybody about Jesus. You're recluse. But just keep in mind that God's great mercy has already examined you. It's already seen every single sin you've ever done. He's already examined you. And his great mercy has abounded over all that you've done. Over all you've done, it is abounded. Now, I have thought about this secret place of mercy. I want to tell you that God's secret place of mercy is not some small stream. It's not some bubbling fountain. It is a geyser shooting into the air. It is a geyser. It's explosive. It's, it's huge. It's wide. It's a geyser. Not even the angels can understand how high and how far God's mercy is to you. In Lamentations chapter th uh, 3, verse 20, uh, 22, it says this, 22 and 23. It says this, that the steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercy towards you Towards you. I'm not talking to all y'all. I'm talking to you. His mercy towards you never ceases. It never ceases. It never runs dry. Every single morning it is fresh and new. Every morning it's fresh and new. I've given this illustration before. If you buy a gallon of milk and, and you come home, you pour yourself a bowl of cereal, you eat the cereal, you put the milk back in the refrigerator, and then the next morning you wake up, you open up the refrigerator, and the milk is full. The top thing hasn't even been cracked, cracked yet. It's new as if you never used it before. That is how God's mercy is to you. You cannot exhaust his mercy you beat yourself up and I punish myself even though I don't want to we are slower to forgive ourselves than God is forgiving us I want you to know that God is forgiven us but his great mercy his compassion as I was studying for this message earlier this week, I, I came across an account of a young man that fought in World War II. And um, it, it came from a gentleman that was standing on a platform. And the train was, he was waiting for the train to come so he could get on to the train. He looked to his left and he saw a soldier with his arm blown off. And his sleeve was tied in a knot. And he was standing there on a crutch. And he, he details how his face was so pale, it looked like it was gray. He was just like skin and bones, and his head was down. And he looked like he was on the precipice of dying. And the writer says, I had compassion 
for him. I felt compassion towards him. But then an elderly man came from behind him and started running towards the soldier. He knew instinctively that he was the father. He came running towards the soldier and just embraced him and squeezed him and put his head into the shoulder, the, the soldier's neck. And he squeezed him. He was hugging his son because he sent him off to war this this young, vibrant, good-looking, solid young man. And then he came back, and now he's just bones and skin. He's not even close to the man that he once was. He's been hurt. He's been shot. He's wounded. But he's hugging him. And the compassion that the father has towards his son is a depth in a purity that the stranger will never know of. The love that God has for you is deeper than anyone you know has for you. It is so deep that the more wounded you are, and some of us in this room are wounded, we're, we're soldiers with chinks in our armor. Uh, we are, we've learned to be strong and endure seasons. But the reality of the matter is, is that many of us are tired. We are tired, but we can't afford to be tired. We have to keep on going. We have to stay strong. So we can't afford to be tired. We can't afford, we don't have the time to feel pity on ourselves. And it's a, it's a scary feeling. It's a feeling where you feel trapped and you don't know how to get out. And the father looks and he sees wounds. He sees hurts. And he's, I love you so much. See, you look at your wounds as weaknesses he looks at your wounds as beautiful commitments that you have hung on to through the darkest storms. And he is so proud of you. Can you give the Lord a pause for that? So he has mercy and then he starts talking about living hope. Uh, no, 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 a new birth. He starts talking about a new birth. And, and when there's a new birth, you go from one life to another life. I don't know if you've ever been there before, if you ever thought like this. You, you think back five years, 10 years, 15 years ago, and you start thinking about the things you used to do and how you used to act. And you can't help but to smirk because that feels like another life ago. It wasn't five years ago. It wasn't 10 years ago. It wasn't 15. It wasn't 20. It wasn't. It's like another life ago. Wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. It seems like another life. Like, like, every, like there was a dividing line between that life and the life you live now. Uh, are you with me? The, what happened, what happened was that the Lord 
took you and made you into a new person. He made you. It was like another birth to a new person. In Isaiah chapter um, chapter 1, I think it's verse 5. Um, one verse, no, verse 18, sorry. Isaiah says, come, let's, let's reason together. Let's talk together. Though your sins may be like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though your sins may be red like crimson, they will be white as wool. This is a new birth where he's saying, this is all new. From this moment forward, it's all new. I, I was reading earlier this week about how China had a rule for, uh, a rule for decades, a law, not a rule, a law. She could not have more than one child. And this has been the case up until three years ago. And now they've raised it to where now you can have three children. But if you have four, there's a massive punishment. And so if a family accidentally has four, in most cases, the parent takes the baby and lays it on the porch of an orphanage. Or they'll throw it into the dumpster. Because they... They can't be found having four children. And the economy right now in China, many of you guys are very well aware of it. It is very difficult just to pay for a family of three with one child. Paying for two children is, you have to have a phenomenal job in great security to be able to take care of two children. And so out of the inability to feed them, the inability to take care of them, they drop them off. In fact, uh, in the article, it talks about how there was a six-year-old child because CNN went there and just sat in front of the orphanage to watch how the whole thing happened in this other country, what the culture was. And they saw a car pull up and they literally just pushed this six-year-old boy out of the car. He kind of stumbled on the ground and it drove off. And they put $426 into the boy's pocket and just pushed him out. It, this is, it, and oh, by the way, China provides no health care for these children. So many of them are sick and there is no health care available for them. Uh, 22 years ago, my friend, his name is Patrick he said, I'm going to adopt one of those kids. I'm going to adopt a girl. And so he literally, this was before Facebook. And what's that thing where you open up an account and people can give you money, uh, raise money? What's that? GoFundMe. There, there's no GoFundMe. There's no Facebook. There's no Instagram. He literally had to get into a plane or drive around to different churches and, and, and ask Will you help me raise the money? Because it was between 25000 and 40000 Anyway, he raised the money. He got the baby girl. She had some health challenges. But when he held her, he said to the little girl, You have no idea what we just saved you from. And you have no idea how great your life is about to be. You have no idea. You are mine. 
And for her entire life, he would sit down and say, another woman birthed you, but here is your mom. Another man caused you to live, but I am your father. This is your mother. I am your father. This is your mother. I am your father. Her entire life, now she's going to some small rinkety-dink school. I think it's University of Alabama or something like that. <laughs> I don't think they even have a football team, do they? But <laughs> She's grown up and she's doing fantastic. What happened? She had a new birth. She was born once, then she was born twice into this new family into this new family. Now, when she was down and depressed, was she still a part of the new family? When she made a massive mistake and said something, was she still a part of the new family? Yes! This is the new birth that took place because of the resurrection. But then here's, my, here's my, my last and final point. This living hope that he offered us. This is a mercy, a new birth, and now living hope. See, living hope is very different from dead hope. So a lot of people who have dead hope. Uh, they live like they're going to hell, but they believe that in the end everything will be well. It's not the case. See, a man who has not been born again will one day wish he was never born at all. This is dead hope. But living hope is when your hope rests not in you or your skills and who you know and your network nor your pocketbook. Living hope is when you put your hope in a man who conquered death and now holds your future. Come on, that's living hope. You have put your life into his hands. In Romans 10, 9, it says, anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead will have eternal life. But this, the, the first three words are very important. Anyone who believes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is the Lord of your life. He is the Lord of your life. You ask him. You think about him and how you live your life. Your decisions are based on if the Lord would be pleased with how you're living. He is your Lord. Then you have everlasting life. Simply believing that he exists, if that were the only bar, Satan would still be dancing on the streets of gold in heaven. He's got to be your Lord. And for the, the loved ones in your family, if, if that's not the case, praying for a person is so powerful. I read about this, this guy. He was a, uh, a devil worshiper for almost 25 years. He was a devil worshiper. And he met this girl who used to go to church. She was raised in church. She stopped going to church. But her parents never stopped praying for her. 
And so his idea was he was going to date her and bring her into the occult that he's in, just like he's done with many girls before her. But at week after week after week, he could not convert her. She wasn't going to church. She wasn't being faithful to God anymore. Her faith had drifted. Uh, she abandoned the faith, just like it talks about in um, second, First Timothy chapter four, verse two. Many will abandon the faith, and so he's trying to bring her into the occult, and it's always been very easy for him to do. Finally, after several months, he he went down. And worship Satan in his room. He had this bowl that he would do incense on. And he started word. And he asked the devil, why can't I get this girl? And the devil said back to him, her God has said that she is untouchable. She's untouchable because her parents continue to pray for her. She's untouchable. That's how powerful prayer is. It's so powerful. And for those of us who, who take our own uh, pulse and we get realize, oh my goodness, I'm not as powerful, I'm not as passionate as I used to be, to say to the Lord, dear God, spark my passion. That's the one prayer you can guarantee he's going to answer. That's the, you can guarantee that. But this living hope is putting your trust in him and leaning in to him. That's living hope. Do you receive that today? Come on. Do you receive that? About three years ago, I got so frustrated because I have been, I've been, I don't know how long I've been doing this. I've, I've been preaching Somebody do the math for me. I'm 44, and I started when I was 19. Help me out. What is that? 25? Dear Lord. It's no wonder. I, I started growing my beard. I usually keep it real tight. And I was like, my goodness, half of it's gray. <laughs> so I, I say that to say I've been doing this a minute. And about three or four years ago, I was just getting so frustrated. Because I'm like, God, I've been doing this for a little while. We keep on talking about your power. We keep on talking about miracles. We keep on talking about healings. Where are they at? I was showing up Sunday after Sunday preaching, but every single Sunday I was getting more and more frustrated. I started praying 30 minutes a day which wasn't much more than I was already praying. I started praying an hour a day. Then an hour and a half a day, nothing, nothing changed. Got to two hours a day, nothing changed. I was interviewing a 30-year-old young lady right here on the stage, and I said, introduce yourself to everybody. She says, thanks for inviting me. She slips out of her chair and goes into full cardiac arrest. I'm holding her head in my hands in front of the first service, and she's got blood coming out of her nose. She went to full cardiac arrest. The ambulance came in. We dismissed everyone. They ripped her blouse off, started paddling her. She died. I'm sitting right there. I'm like, 
been praying my heart out for the They take her to the ambulance. They put her in the ambulance. They get her to the hospital. The next morning, I go to visit her. She's eating Jell-O. No residual effects. No nothing. I walk in. She goes, I'm really sorry. I messed up your service, dude. <laughs> she called me dude. Dude. Which I'm cool with, but I've never heard, I haven't heard that in like 20 years. Dude, I'm really sorry. And I'm looking at her, I'm like, am I in the twilight zone? <laughs> like, I still have your blood in my fingernails. What gives? So I went and talked to uh, a man who has been a mentor in my life for a long time. And at the time, I think he was about 67. And I said, what? in the world happened and he goes well I don't know what happened but what I do know is if you can see someone die on your stage and then come back to life you can believe God for anything now so I could Every single Sunday since then, we go for healing. Every single Sunday, people get healed. Amen. Not everyone we pray for gets healed the first time we pray. Sometimes we've got to pray for that person for 197 times, which we will do. And when you're the person who needs the miracle, you're up for it. And I just want you to know, we're up for the battle too. But if you can think of an ailment, we've seen it. Deaf ears, blind eyes. In fact, I want to play a video for you. Um, typically, at this moment in the service, we'll play a, a testimony of somebody who was healed last week to just celebrate what God's done. Um, but because it's Easter, we decided, hey, let's take, let's take four, five, six that's happened in the last couple months and Let's just put them together and then we can celebrate more than just one testimony. Why don't you take a look at this? I tried to pick up, a, a, it was like a, a big lift and I heard my back pop. So I was walking out and here comes Frankie and they were talking and then uh, Omar tells him, hey, you know, Alex Hardy's back. It's like, why don't I just pray for you? I'm like, all right, all right. So we sat there right at the entrance and he prayed, he laid his hands behind her back I felt it I felt the heat of the healing power of God never felt it before in my life that night I was able to go, go to bed lift my, my leg, get into bed slept really good God has healed me it's, it's amazing, I was born seeing the miracles of God and just to see it in my life it, it's amazing. For about a month I've been having an issue with my left ear like there was some type of fluid in my ear to where it was causing me to have issues hearing. I came to church and I didn't even think about it until Pastor Frankie mentioned it about someone having that pain in their left ear and the pain wasn't there when he mentioned it. I've never seen it, a healing happen where the person didn't even have to pray or actually lay hands on somebody. And I just thank God for it. I haven't had any issues since. I can hear perfectly out of it. Didn't have to go to the doctor and I'm praising God for it. Okay, so my story started in about March April, I started having problems with my feet. 
uh, little things like blisters, um, athlete's foot. So I started treating it myself, you know. Progressively over time, my feet kept getting a little bit worse, a little bit worse, to the point where I was limping at work. I did everything the doctors told me to do, the medication, the wrapping my feet twice a day, everything, but my foot was not getting any better and it was frustrating, I was irritable. I was walking around with a cane for two months, uh, a wheelchair for a short period of time and the pain was constant. My feet looked absolutely horrible. It was, oh, you don't even wanna see it, it's the grossest thing you can see. I didn't think my feet were gonna get better. There's a possibility that a toe would get, toes would get amputated. I'd be walking with a limp for the rest of my life. I was scared and um, Pastor Frankie, I mean, yeah, we came to him, I asked him to pray with me about my foot, pray over my foot, he did. And literally a week later, I'm telling you, I was walking around pain-free, no cane. I'm so thankful and so blessed to be able to finally get through this whole ordeal. I was diagnosed with scoliosis when in my early teenage years. And going through that, I walked with a limp because one leg was longer than the other. Well, fast forward to the past five years, I found out that in my lower vertebrae, um, I had a bulging disc in my L4 and L5. Uh, when Pastor Frankie had the word of knowledge on scoliosis, I just knew that by faith I needed to walk up and, and receive healing. So before he got to me, I stood at the altar and I was just going to go ahead and receive my healing, just thank God for what he's doing. I was trying not to overthink it, so I had asked the Holy Spirit, I'm like, just help me to stand still. So I did. I stood still and I felt the movement again. Well, at the same time, at the very top of my back where the curvature is, I could feel this menthol type of feeling as if someone was putting an ice pack on my back. So I knew I was receiving my healing at that time. And also when I stood there, I felt my shoulders relax as if my neck was being stretched up and I was standing taller. And so by the time Pastor Frankie got to me, um, he put his hand on my lower back and he began praying over me. And when he prayed over me, he said, do you feel that? And I said, yes. And it was like that flutter feeling. And uh, he prayed over me again and he asked me again. He said, did you feel that? And I said, yes. And, uh, but I also told him about the coolness that I was feeling where my, my uh, curvature in my spine is. And uh, I walked out a healed woman and I have not had pain ever since. So during the snowstorm, I broke my ankle, I slipped on ice, and uh, I went to the hospital. They told me that it was shattered, I needed a rod, screws, and I was going to be walking with a limp for the rest of my life. Um, a few weeks later, Frankie had a word of knowledge about pain in his right ankle, but he also had a name. The name was Catalina. My name's Katarina. I instantly knew that was me. I ended up going back to the doctors and my bone moved back into place and started healing. Um, today, I don't need surgery. I can walk on my foot. The doctor pretty much said, you can go back to your regular life. I was actually uh, in the service and it was a pretty unusual Sunday because we basically come on the second service, we ended up coming on the first service with my daughter. And as the pastor was actually finishing the service, he started calling people to go for prayer, people that had, you know, like very tiny faith and, and basically myself. 
But then when he was just going through the whole thing, I remember seeing the pastor just covering his eyes and he said, somebody here that bursted his right eye, I don't know what came over me. I just jumped out of my seat. <laughs> I just started walking. But the pastor he did not even actually uh, finish yet. I was already in the front. As I was walking, uh, my eye is just basically not uh, been able to see because I couldn't see at first. My right eye was just basically messed up. And all of the time I could see, I'm like, no way. I cannot believe I'm here uh, at the front now. What is Pastor Frankie going to say? By the time the Pastor Frankie was finishing calling everybody, he came down and he says, can you please remind me what it was? I was sweating and I was shaking. And I said, it was my right eye. And I made sure to say it was my right eye. And he said, well, I don't know, but I feel like you were healed as you were walking. <laughs> as you were walking towards me, I feel I felt like you were being healed and my jaw dropped. I was like, that's what it was. I could not believe that's exactly what happened. I looked at him and I said, Pastor, I believe I was here. And I even did this just in case. It was like, I don't see it anymore. So it, it's been crazy to say the least, but basically I have been healed from my seat getting to the front of the uh, stage. The fact that God can do this as well for me. Now my faith obviously could be a radical faith at this point because if it happened to me, it definitely can happen to somebody else for sure. <laughs> You know, on the, on the way down the hallway, I was thinking to myself before service, was walking down the hallway, I thought to myself, well, there's, there's power in the resurrection. Let's go see it. That's what I was thinking. I was walking down, I was like, what? let's go see it. Let's go see it in action. And, and I believe that that's what we're going to see right now. Would you all stand to your feet for me, please? Uh, this is... Uh, this is how I'd like to, to close a service. We're going we're gonna to stretch our faith for physical healing because that's just the, the anointing that's been on our church. Like you heard in the testimony, oftentimes people get healed without anyone even praying for them. They just get healed in their seat or they get healed as they're walking to the front. I want you to just raise your faith for that. But I would be remiss if I didn't prioritize the people in this room that don't know where they would spend eternity if their heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes. See, if you throw a basketball in the air, it starts bouncing, and you can almost watch and predict how long it's going to take for it to take its last bounce. That's not the way your heart is. It got set into motion, and you don't know. You can't guess. You can't predict when that last beat will take place. And if you don't know where you would spend eternity, if your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, you are far and away the most important person in this room.
So in a moment, I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down and they're going to stand at the stage. And they're available to pray for anyone. But if you're the person I was just talking about, I want you to come out of your seat and come take the hand of someone and say, I need to get my life right with God. The Bible says that if you're ashamed of him in front of people, he will be ashamed of you in front of the Father. And so I want your statement of belief to be public. It should be public. It should be public. It shouldn't be something where I'm just going to make this decision in the quietness of my heart, standing in my seat. God's expression for you was public. At the very least, we can make our decision in public. Number two, I want to say this. We've been going for healing every single weekend, but over the last five or six weeks, we've gone for it less. Because I feel like the Lord has shown me that the the biggest challenge in the church today is not the need for healing, but the need for deliverance. That in Matthew 16, 23, Jesus looked at Peter and said, what you just said is from the devil. Get behind me, Satan. This is Peter. Because most believers don't know that it's a spirit, not a mood. And you know the difference between a a bad spirit and a bad mood by examining the life of the mood. You can be in a bad mood for a few hours. That's called being human. But when it's constant and it's become what people expect from you and what you expect from yourself. Where depression's not lasting a few hours, it's your life. Where distrust and bitterness, it's a part of your life. Just like Peter, he was being inflicted by a spirit. And on this Resurrection Sunday, I want you to walk out of here having brushed that spirit off. Brush it off. I'm just going to tell you, if you haven't figured it out already, I am not interested in people coming in here and enjoying my preaching or the worship service and leaving the same way because that means this is all about me. You you and I live real lives with real problems. And if we're not willing to come to the Lord and ask him for help and ask him for deliverance and ask him for healing, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Have we come here today so we can take pictures? 
what are we doing here? So if you're in this room and, and you're like, you got your poker face because it's like, you're talking to me, but I'm not going to let you know you're talking to me. <laughs> when we start praying, I want you to raise your hands. And I want you to tell the Lord, I want you to deliver me. And the word renounce means you've identified how the enemy got in and you want him to leave. And so you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want me to renounce? And whatever he brings to your mind, it may sound like I renounce unforgiveness. I renounce bitterness. I renounce unholy relationships. I renounce a filthy mouth. I renounce addictions. I renounce it. And as long as the Holy Spirit's bringing it to your mind, you just keep on saying it, saying it, saying it, saying it, until you run out of things. He's no longer bringing anything to your mind. And say, all right, Jesus, fill me even more with your presence. you want to walk through that process with a prayer partner, they'll be ready to. Speaking of the prayer partners, I'd like for all of you to come down. And as they're coming down, sometimes I, I think that I'm hearing from God that he wants me to pray for a couple people individually. You know, we've got prayer partners from one side to the other, but oftentimes there's a couple people that I believe he wants me to pray for. And I believe he, he speaks to me and tells me who. It's called a word of knowledge. But here's the deal. There's a lot of times where I think he's talking to me and nobody raises their hand and says, that's me. And I have to be honest with all of you and say, I'm sorry. I was trying to hear from God for you. And it must have been me talking to myself. Because obviously it wasn't God. Last night, I had three words of, no, four words of knowledge. And I can't remember. I think three were accurate and one was off. But the three people who raised their hand experienced healing I want to say this if, if you don't raise your hand I don't know what the end of the story is for you because I'm not part of that but I can show you testimony after testimony after testimony of people who've raised their hand they come out of their seat and they just stand right here I don't bring them on the stage it's just when the service is over I take my microphone off and I go down there and I pray with them that's the power of just raising your hand. Now, if, you, if you're like, I'm not raising my hand, um, that don't come up to me after service and like you were talking to me, but I didn't want to raise my hand. Because you rob the whole room as, of an opportunity to go, man, God just spoke and he heard. This is exciting. So 
I'm just going to say a few things that came to my mind, and we'll find out if it was from God. While I was watching the, the video, somebody was talking, and all of a sudden my eye drew to his eye, his left eye, and like if you could split his eye in half, it was towards the side of his eye that my, eye would, my attention went to. And my thought was, I think the Lord wants to heal someone that has some type of condition on the this side of their left eye. And it's not like a 50-50, but the problem is over here, and it may affect the rest of the eye, but the problem is over here. That's number one. Number two, while someone was talking, I looked at their lips, and I was like, God wants to heal something going on on the inside of a bottom lip. And then number three, I had this thought. There's someone here named Sonia who has a thyroid issue. So let's find out if I was talking to myself or if that was the Lord speaking to me. Oh, one more. Someone has a pain in their bottom of their right jaw right down in here. So let's find out. It's always a scary moment, but it's very exciting. Because if I've heard from God, we're about to see a healing. And if I haven't heard from God, you get to hear me say, hey, I'm sorry, I thought. What is it? It's the inside of your lip. Praise the Lord. What is it? It's the bottom right hand of your jaw. Praise God. What is it? On the same side right here. Okay. Two people came down for the right jaw, so I forgot why you came down. What was it? The inside of your lips. There might be someone else. It's like, that's me as well. Is there anyone else that I, I just described it? What is it? I'm sorry. You're the one with the eye. 